0: The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield on 702. Let's walk the talk on nights 2.7 and 106 FM.
1: The Money Show is brought to you by the APSA Africa Financial Markets Index, cultivating growth by providing a clear understanding of the African markets. APSA is a registered FSP. Good evening and welcome to The Money Show this evening. Uh, Yeah, terrible day on financial markets. We lost more than 1,000 points. Pick and pay, one of the culprits, pulling us lower. Mondi was a bigger culprit, though. uh, Mondi down about 8% on the day. Negative trading update from that company. We'll reflect on both of those and more with Graham Kerner coming up in just a little bit. It. Got Feral Hafeji standing by for us. Water bills, water bills, water bills everywhere. No guarantee of supply in Joburg. Um, big crackdown on all kinds of institutions at a time where government departments owe Joburg water millions. Feral's fuming. Fabulous. We do like it when Feral fumes. Uh, we'll also talk to Warren Ingram this evening about planning your Christmas finances. It's never too early to do so. So lots to come on tonight's Money Show.
0: The Money Show. With Bruce Whitfield on 702. 702.
1: Our lines are open on 11 8830702 You can tweet us at Bruce Business or send us a WhatsApp, which is always lovely. 072-702-1702. Anything that rocks your boat, piques your interest or challenges you or doesn't challenge you nearly enough. Let's us know on that particular front. Well, something that's been bothering me all week, and it all feeds into uh, the nonsense around nationalizing the Reserve Bank. It's a narrative still bubbling in some circles. But on Monday, I had a really interesting discussion with Zimbalia Nguber, the budget and tax uh, uh, researcher at the Institute for Economic Justice, and he was making an impassioned appeal for South Africa to use the reserves that sit within the South African Reserve Bank to fund spending, to drive a consumer-led growth recovery. In theory, very attractive. You have money, use it to fund growth. But as I've moved around this week and been bumping into various people in various places, several of you have been expressing horror at the idea. And today I see that the this week's Financial Mail is also talking about this particular issue. Uh, Claire Bissica writing As the cost of borrowing soars and the fiscal crisis looms, South Africa's in desperate need for new sources of cash. Some think they have found a hidden stockpile at the Reserve Bank, but it's unlikely to hand over the country's reserves without a fight. And if only South Africa had a pot of gold or cash under a sofa, naughty, that everyone had forgotten about and was just waiting to be discovered. About half a trillion rand would do it would get us out of all kinds of bother, but the trouble is there's no such thing as free money. George Glenos is the head of research at ETM Analytics. This money, this 486 million rand, or think it's there, thereabouts, that is sitting within the Reserve Bank's coffers. George, what is that money? Why is that money there? And why do some people think that money should be up for grabs?
2: Hi, good evening, Bruce, and good evening to everyone else. Um... Yeah. So, just a small correction. It's billion, not million. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, so it's, you
1: know, who cares? I was talking pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> billion, a big one. Billion yeah. pounds.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, so it, it's a contingency reserve. It's uh, central bank holds it on its balance sheet um, on behalf of uh, national treasury, really, and um, it, it's there to to safeguard uh, the country's um uh, country's fX position, so typically, if you consider that the central bank is your your lender of last resort uh, and is there to to stand um to stand ready to be able to fulfill commitments uh, should something calamitous happen in the country and uh people simply cannot raise the amount of dollars that are available in the market to be able to pay creditors abroad. Uh, these reserves can therefore be tapped um, as a, a lender of last resort or to utilize them to, to fund some of these, um, these uh, transactions in, in such a way that the country can avoid things like default. So it has a, a very important purpose. Um, typically, when, when foreign investors look at a country, they also tend to look at things like uh, the level of foreign reserves that are available, um, that that are sitting on a central bank's balance sheet, uh, for comfort, uh, they like to know that they're investing in a country where they have at least some certainty that they will get their money back, uh, and, and so that's what these reserves tend to to be looked at uh, by by foreign investors, and so it's important that we have them. Um, And unfortunately, it's not a pot that should be tapped into. Um, Should we tap into it, I think it would be seen very poorly by the international community. It's the kind of thing that would render the rand even more vulnerable than it is already. Uh, And it would, um, I think, send a very bad message to the international community that we really are now scraping the barrel, trying to tap into every last bit of, of resource that we have. Uh, to try and plug a problem which is far deeper than just uh, the amount yeah. that we're talking about, uh, the real problem is the maladministration administration of South Africa's fiscal uh, position and the fact that uh, over the course of the past uh, 10 to 12 years, we've done a really poor job in stabilizing the trajectory that we've been on. Um, and that has led us down a path where debt levels have risen, uh, where we have now slipped out of investment grade and where South Africa no longer has the confidence of foreign investors in the way that it did. That's the real issue. And And, and, the only way you fix it is by implementing strong reforms.
1: Correct. You've got to get growth. The the only way out of the hole is to grow out of the hole, not to try and um, use money that you should not be using, using your reserves to take a chance that maybe that will stimulate a consumer-led recovery. Uh, And what if it doesn't? Then (laughs) you don't have the growth and you don't have the reserves. Uh, Ultimately, this is government money. Um, but it's a floating amount of money. It's not a fixed pot of cash. It will vary from day to day because this money is used to cover different positions. And and basically, once a year, the the Reserve Bank goes through an exercise and says, "Okay, fine. We keep X amount in reserve, and X amount is excess capital. We have had higher than average interest rates, and um, we can now hand over some of this money to National Treasury." So the people who want to access this money are not wrong. This is money that does ultimately some of it at least feeds back through the National Treasury. Ultimately, does get spent by government on projects as it sees uh, as, as it sees fit, right?
2: Well, yeah, yes and no. Um, again, uh, f- firstly, you, you you raised an important point in that these are unreal unrealized amount, th- that number that you quoted, the four hundred and eighty odd billion. Uh, is an unrealized figure. Yeah. Uh, so in other words, you'd have to sell the assets on the balance sheet in, in order to, to realize that figure. And then there's a, a whole big technical process that would take place between the Reserve Bank and National Treasury to push that, that funding across. Now, yeah, assuming that that was possible and, and assuming that uh, the Reserve Bank would accede to doing something like that, You'd you'd really need to um, ask yourself deeper questions about what this funding is going to be used for, and why is it necessary to be tapping into these reserves when we haven't needed to in the past? And then over and above that, then what do we fall back on should South Africa uh, uh, be impacted by some sort of international calamitous event such yeah. as we've had uh, in in recent years? So uh, you know these are these are difficult questions to to answer and um for those that are, are wanting to utilize uh these reserves i uh, i i think I, I think it it bothers me because we we essentially be tapping into what's uh, a finite amount of funding uh, to potentially fix what's a structural problem uh, and and i'm not sure that um it it helps South Africa's cause in any way at, at best. It just simply kicks the can down the road. But once we've kicked it, there's nothing to fill up those, those, um, reserves, uh, you know, for the future. Uh, and so it's a dangerous game to play because not only are we giving, uh, politicians free reign on money that, you know, might be bailing them out in the yeah. short term so that we don't have to implement the kind of hard hitting reforms that we should be, uh, leading up to an election next year, but, we're also giving them the impression that the Reserve Bank is, is something that they can manipulate for no, their exactly. own political benefits, which I think exactly. is something else that we need to steer clear of.
1: Absolutely. It's a Reserve Bank, not a piggy bank. And unfortunately, it's perceived to be by some in the economy as a piggy bank. It's a it's a pot of cash that can be exploited at will and simply it can't. Thank you, George Ganos, Head of Research at ETM Analytics. On that particular front, I see the Brenthurst Foundation has just posted uh, details of their research on what is likely to happen in the elections next year. Their view, South Africa is more likely than ever to have a coalition government following next year's elections. Uh, That's according to a survey which was conducted by the Brenthurst Foundation and the Sabi Strategy Group. Uh, ANC support has plummeted from November 2022 when it was sitting at 48%. It's plummeted now, uh, in October, to 41%. That's dramatic. It really is. Joblessness, corruption, load shedding, crime, all the country's biggest problems, of course, counting against them. 57% 57% of voters said the ANC uh, uh, cited the ANC government of the last three decades as a principal cause of South Africa's problems, and that is up from 51% who blamed the ANC a year ago. The survey also found the multi-party coalition, uh, which combines, amongst others, the DA and the IFP, Action SA, Freedom Front Plus and the United Independent Movement, will get 36% of the vote. So you've got a very strong divide now, where you've got the ANC likely to get forty-one percent, but a coalition of parties, and our coalitions of opposition parties have not been the most resilient um, to temptation to go for cool jobs and you know in various positions in councils and in government themselves. So it's interesting um, that the the rapid loss of support, and I'm sure that stage six load shedding over the this, the course of this year has certainly contributed to that further calamitous fall in confidence.
3: The Money Show with Bruce Wilfield is brought to you by Absa Corporate and Investment Banking. Absa CIB proudly brings you the Africa
4: Financial Markets Index. Absa is a registered FSP.
1: I hope I don't damage her brand equity, but Ferial Hafaji is one of the nicest people you'd ever be lucky to meet. But unless, of course, you've done something bad, in which case she will come down upon you as you deserve. She's currently incredibly frustrated by a collapse in services, particularly in Johannesburg, and a piece by her today talking about how the city of Joburg is cutting off water and electricity in poor areas, including nursing homes, enforcing outstanding payments at roadblocks, and... Fine, I would think, that if you're not paying your bills, you've got to find a way to pay them. Her her concern here is government departments owe hundreds of millions in unpaid water bills and nobody's going after them. I think that's where the the, the rage and the fury, Feryl, is uh, is coming from uh, in this in this particular instance where you've got a perfectly legitimate claim by the city of Johannesburg to want to claim money that is outstanding to it, uh, but you've got to be administering your collections, I think, fairly across everybody who does owe you money. Otherwise, you're behaving like a hypocrite.
5: Um, good evening, Bruce. I guess it's more disbelief than, um, than, than anger when, when um, a councillor showed me the report and how much was outstanding. So I've, I've spent weeks and weeks trying to confirm that that's the amount. Uh, that's the amount. I actually think it's much higher now because we're already at October 2023. And the inability of the city council to collect it, um, for me, is is inexplicable. But how it looks at the other end of, of the problem is that there are no cars to go out to fix all the water pipe bursts. And we all know that almost two-thirds of the city at any one time, uh, people are without water. So this morning, a highly organized uh, community in the east of Johannesburg sent a very sad message saying that this morning they received a message from a local school saying, please don't bring your little ones to school today. There's no water. And that's
1: happening all across the city. Uh, it, it most certainly is. And the double standard here, I mean, we, we, we're a country of many double standards, but this is a particular double standard that certainly yeah. irks me I don't, know, yeah, and, and clearly irks you too. Uh, very very much so
5: so um, the the city manager of fluidbrunn told us on, the, on a webinar that they were going to start um Uh, enforcing unpaid utility bills at at roadblocks. Now, that's completely illegal. But what the city has started doing is they pull you over. If you have um, unpaid utility bills, they then immediately set the enforcement people onto you. And yet we now find out that the biggest culprit is, in fact, provincial government departments and a couple of um, SOEs as well.
1: Yeah, apply the law by all means, but apply it fairly. Thank you, feral yeah, Hufferji, uh, for, for b- bringing good. us up to speed this evening. feral Hufferji, of course, writes for The Daily Maverick. She's an associate editor at The Daily Maverick. And it is the, the, the catastrophe of a double standard. And people are so often um, are targeted. And I was having a conversation with somebody this morning just talking about the iniquity of the way in which taxpayers are targeted, for example, where uh, there's people who, who've never registered for tax and who seem to... Operate in a, a world of their own with absolutely no way of tracking them. But those who are registered and those who are compliant feel as if they are targeted incessantly. Um, and there, again, one, and I'm sure that uh, Edward Kissveter would love to um, access the illicit tobacco money and access all the money of people who are not registered. But they go for the honeypot that exists. And that, of course, is infuriating to many. The Money Show. The markets. Oh my goodness gracious me! I can't bear to tell anybody about this. What a horrible day it is! And I think Graham, uh, Graham Kerner, with a Kerner perspective this evening. I, I think we're probably one of the lowest levels we've seen this year on the JSE, certainly. Yeah, Bruce. I think particularly
3: in the in the broader market. Um, yeah, um, you know, two weeks ago we were talking about that sort of descending staircase that's been the JSE for for 2023, and um, yeah, we seem to have moved into the bargain basement. It's um, It's been pretty awful. Um, and the amazing thing is, you know, when there's bad news locally, we get sold off, and then you know, when there's obviously a lot of tension in, in the world, for example, in the Middle East, or Anxiety around interest rates in in the US, then we get marked down with the rest of the world. So we just, you know, it's almost as though we can't catch a break at the moment. The Market looking pretty bleak, in spite of a little bit of weakness in the rand. You know, everything was was down. I think the only sectors that maybe try to, you know, post gains were some of the small caps and uh, and maybe the financials, particularly the banks and one or two. Other than that, it was just ugly.
1: Yeah, absolutely, we're down a thousand and seven points, one and a half percent below seventy-one thousand on the all-share index. Let's just pick through some of the primary culprits. Yesterday was the terrible day for Pick and Pay, which just compounded its declines on the JSE with a thirteen percent decline after its trading up after, after its results uh, came out and Sean Summers warned that there wouldn't be a dividend. Well, he said there probably wouldn't be a dividend, and then last night on the radio said there won't be a dividend. So I think that's confirmed that there won't be a dividend. I'm not too sure how they could ever. Just justify yeah. paying it considering the state of the company as it stands at the moment he's got a heck of a job on his hands but the market is yet to sort of say right this is the guy who's going to turn it around we have faith in him and we'll start putting money into it 13 uh, percent down yesterday a further four percent down today uh, for the first time in its history it's reported a loss and that is you know by any standards a, a terrible a, end of an, a remarkable track record
3: yeah, Bruce, I mean, it, yeah, you, you have to go back a very long time to try and find when, when pick and pay was at last at these sort of levels. Um,
1: 15 years ago, yeah. Graham, 15 years ago, um, uh, Sean Summers had left two years before Nick Badminton took over, um, and then he kind of disappeared about two years in, three years in, and, and that's yep. when the share was last at these sorts of levels, Yeah.
3: Yeah. And Bruce, I mean, what we always must consider is that you know, companies should be delivering inflation um, uh, earnings growth and inflation-adjusted earnings growth. So, if inflation is running at six, so you would expect you know, a company after a decade to be double or you know, one hundred and fifty percent up. But yeah, it's been it's been a. An disaster and i was chatting to somebody yesterday who's generally very astute and said i really feel like taking a punt on uh, on pick and pay what do you think and i said well you know it's as a franchise there's a lot of work to do and i must say with last you know a year ago when they came up with this new restructure i thought it was a bit daft to break the pick and pay you know store brands into two but anyway they've they've put a halt to that but i i, I would argue yeah I think it's it's probably for for betting people who say you know maybe maybe just getting back to the knitting don't mess it up don't um you know don't try and be too clever and just give customers what they want the prices they want and put the right stuff on the shelves at the right price, and they could claw back some of that lost market share et cetera so I think for gambling people um and it's crazy to talk about pick and pay as a punt, but I think there might be there might be merit in it at these ridiculously oversold levels. But it's going to take time. Let's be honest, it's going to take time to turn it around operationally. But you do get the feeling that the sell-off is just overdone.
1: Yeah, um, and you've got to be prepared to be like the dog that has been chastised for, for peeing on the carpet and won't look in the direction of the mess that it's made uh, and sort yeah. of treat uh, an investment like that, a bit like that. You don't bet the farm on it, but you, as you say, take a punt. Mondi, um, one of South Africa's more successful global companies with packaging operations all over the world warning today that demand for its uh, corrugated cardboard and all kinds of very very convoluted things that they managed to do with wood pulp and turning it into packaging Uh, demand isn't what it should be and their share price came under a huge amount of pressure again today as well
3: yeah and also that shares back at where it was I think uh, sort of in 2015 at this time. So it just shows you the order to which South Africa has, you know, the South African equity market has has floundered. So um, I think the thing that struck me is, you know, I think it's a good business, it's well run, obviously somewhat of a beneficiary of, you know, this new economy. But uh, they were talking about soft conditions in a lot of markets, um, you know, not being able to push through any price increases. They saved a little bit by lower costs. But I think the thing that struck me is if you compare it to, You know, last year, Q3 to Q3, you know, earnings are down almost 50%. That's a big number uh, from a business that I actually would have classified as being fairly defensive. And I think share price got hit percent today. But, yeah, as you say, I mean, it's been marked down massively and it is a good business, Um, probably a little bit more cyclical than we might have thought. I still think it's a good business. And once again, you know, you look at this and you say this too – and that's why I said I think we're in bargain basement territory. This, You know, this descending staircase has brought a lot of assets down to at very, very attractive levels.
1: Graham Kerner with the Kerner perspective. Thank you very much indeed, Graham Kerner, on a Thursday evening. Uh, currency, uh, 90, uh, eighteen ninety-seven to the dollar. It's improving against the dollar. I see Jerome Powell has been speaking this evening. Jerome Powell, who's the chair of the U.S. Federal Reserve, uh, the market waits for every breath that man takes at the moment, and he's been talking this evening, saying the fact that uh, the United States has got a strong economy and job market are elements that they want to see. Um, there's no precision in under understanding monetary policy lags. What he means by that is that they've raised interest rates to such an extent and are wary of raising interest rates further because they don't know the long-term impact of what they have done already. And I guess our Reserve Bank sits in that same sort of position where our Reserve Bank has raised interest rates 10 times and knows at some point the enthusiasm for spending dissipates enough to then bring inflation down. They've spent two um, interest rate um, meetings, uh, leaving interest rates flat. They've got another one coming in November. Markets betting they'll leave it flat again, even though we did see a jump up in South African inflation yesterday. Uh, but yeah, um, Jerome Powell saying markets have been front-running uh, federal policy changes um, and keeping them, I uh, guessing, I guess. Um, household savings are higher than, uh, and spending has been higher. So there's definitely still a warning Um, that inflation is in the system. But here's the important bit. We should see the effects of monetary policy arriving. And I think that is code for we don't plan to raise interest rates again anytime soon, which is why we're seeing a little bit of weakness come through in the US dollar on this Thursday evening.
3: 702. Bruce is on The Money Show.
1: Welcome to The Money Show this evening. Very quickly, uh, WhatsApp calls from you, please, this evening. That's what I need. Uh, voice notes on 072 702 1702. I need an answer and I need why. Um, would you put a thousand rand on the Springboks winning the World Cup? We're talking sports betting in just a moment. Or would you put a thousand rand into a, an investment in pick and pay? A thousand bucks, bet on the Springboks winning the World Cup. Or would you invest a thousand rand, a 25 rand a share in pick and pay? What would your punt be if we're talking punts this evening? Let's talk punts. thousand bucks on the Springboks or a thousand bucks on Sean Summers turning around pick and pay. Where does your money go? Whatsapps on 072-702-1702. Quick, quick, quick. Bruce Whitfield on The Money Show. 6
0: to 8 p.m.
1: I'm Bruce Whitfield. Welcome to The Money Show. A thousand bucks on South Africa, a thousand bucks invested in pick and pay. Let us ask somebody with a vested interest in at least one part of that equation, and that is the co-founder of Wager, Reese Jacobson. Where would your money go, Reese? Don't tell me the box, please. Uh, Like
6: you said, I've got a vested interest in at least one side of this argument. I'd
1: put a thousand bucks on the box to win. Okay, and what odds would you give me now um, on the box winning the World Cup two Saturdays from now?
6: Um, they'd be very short, um, or a lot shorter than now that we've gotten past France. Exactly. But uh, I'd, uh, I'd offer you, personally, I'd offer you around uh, one or two to one on, on the box winning the World Cup.
1: What does two to one mean? I put down one and you give me two, or I put down two and we win and you give me one. I think it works that way, doesn't it?
6: It does, yeah, but if I'm offering you odds of two to one for every one rand you bet, I will give you two rand back okay, that right. outcome comes uh, okay. true. Okay,
1: all right. Um, are people betting on the box? Are people betting on the rugby? Are people betting on the World Cup cricket? Where's the sports betting going at the moment?
6: Uh, yeah. You know, people are betting on both. Um, I know one of my friends, uh, I'm not going to mention the names, but he put a, a bet down on the box and the Proteus to win their respective World Cups about a month ago. And he got odds of about 40 to one.
1: Um,
6: yeah. So his 1000 Rand bet could uh, could. Give him, and give him and 40,000. Possible.
1: Absolutely. Yep, exactly. uh, and I'm sure the odds have improved dramatically since our performance against the Netherlands last weekend. Uh, you might get 50 to 1. I don't know. But yes. <laughs> um, talk to me about the state of sports betting. Um, because there, there are two things that I hate spending money on, Reese, I must just be absolutely clear here. There are two things I hate spending money on. Fines, I believe fines are a tax on stupidity. Um, and so whenever I get a speeding fine or a parking fine or anything, I just curse myself because it's money down the drain. It's, there's no value to me whatsoever in that. And I'm afraid gambling is one of those things. And, but even I'm tempted now to just have a little flutter. But then I'm looking at the thousand bucks and going, well... Surely, I'd be more sensible putting it into pick and pay rather than having a flutter on on, on the spring box. And uh, I, I'm I, I'm just I'm, I'm curious as to how things are going in the world of sports betting because it it boomed at one stage, then went very quiet, and it feels like it's making a comeback.
6: Uh, yeah, it is growing, um, definitely growing. I think uh, according to the latest research I've seen, there are about 1.6 to 1.8 million online sports betters in South Africa. Uh, And that market is projected to reach about 6.6 billion rand this year. Um, So it is growing a massive industry. Uh, And with regards to your comment on uh, you, you dislike putting money or or, or, or gambling any money. uh, I think it's important to remember that nobody should ever bet more money than they can afford to lose. Similar to uh, putting a thousand rand into uh, any stock. Uh, Sports betting is supposed to be fun and not necessarily a, a source of stress or financial
1: hardship. But unfortunately, there are always going to be people who do push out, you know, who start believing they're geniuses. You start getting one bet right and then they get a little bit excited. And like any bad behaviour, it can become addictive ultimately. I, I'm And, you know, in the casino space, they've always grappled with this uh, issue of, of, of sort of helping people from harming themselves too much. And I suppose online, particularly because so much of the sports betting nowadays is online, it's very hard to sort of help people who are not willing to help themselves
7: yeah
6: definitely uh, there are obviously downsides to uh, to betting it's uh, it's well documented that it's quite an addictive behavior um and uh, i suppose people who are in danger of that need to just be very cautious and aware and uh, know that there is help out there um for them if, if they do find themselves in a bit of trouble
1: uh, and in terms of volumes and in terms of the value of the sports betting market in south africa can you give us a ballpark
6: Uh, Yeah, so in terms of that value, uh, I said it a bit earlier, I think it's at around 6.6 billion rand uh, expected to be this year, uh, total revenue in in online sports betting.
1: That's an astonishing amount of money, actually. It's far higher than I would have thought.
6: (laughs) It is massive.
1: Where where is most of it going? I mean, uh, is horse racing still a thing? Uh, I don't know. Where where does most of the betting happen?
6: Yeah, horse racing is is definitely still a thing, but I think uh, in South Africa, it's uh, predominantly bet on... uh, Football, rugby, and cricket—I think—are your main, uh, your main three sports, sports, sports types.
1: Reese, thank you very much indeed. Reese Jacobson, who's the co-founder of Wager, W A Y J A—clever name uh, for a sports betting business. I'll take will take your calls this evening. Thousand bucks invested on the Springboks winning. I was invested bet, punted a thousand rand on South Africa winning the Rugby World Cup. A thousand rand on the proteas, if you like. And a thousand bucks invested in pick and pay. I'll talk to uh, Warren Ingram with that this evening too. The Money Show.
0: With Bruce Whitfield on 702. 702.
1: Sean in Joburg. uh, A thousand bucks on the box or a thousand bucks on uh, Sean Summers turning around pick and pay. Where would your money go? The I mean, money's on the box, dude. <laughs> so, you, so if Sean Summers gets pick and pay right, and the share price uh, quadruples over five years from twenty-five to a hundred bucks, you would rather uh, put your thousand bucks in uh, and get a two-thousand rand return on the spring box immediately. So you you're on shorter ter- you you're on short uh, short-term gains, are you? I'm on a short-term gain, but listen, those guys are.
4: They're playing for our country. Our country needs some good news. We need a positive. And this is not an investment. Well, it is an investment in our country. We need it. Bad.
1: No, we most, uh, certainly, we most certainly do. Thank you, Sean, very much indeed. Um, I, I concur. But unfortunately, the, the gains that we get from these sporting victories um, are, are wonderful. Uh, and they make us feel really good. And we'll be ticker tape parading and there'll be open top buses and we'll wave the cup above our heads and we will feel proud and we will cry and we'll feel wonderful but it doesn't change the fundamentals unless you use it as a catalyst for something fundamentally positive to take an action for growth and improvement. I'm not too sure, you know, there's the, beyond the emotional value, which is big and positive and important. There's no doubt about it. But unless you can catalyze that emotion into improvements in policy, improvements in outcomes for real people, it then dissipates really, really quickly. Maybe what Sean should do Is put his money on the box and if they win, take the 2,000 rand that he gets (laughs) and then invest that in pick and pay. Boom, boom, double, double. Warren Ingram, financial advice on that later on. SMS Bruce on 31702. Money Show brought to you by the APSA Africa Financial Markets Index. Cultivating growth by providing a clearer understanding of the African markets. APSA is a registered FSP. Uh, I'm going to talk in a bit more detail after Eyewitness News at 7 about a feeling I'm getting about a sense of... A prickle of optimism coming through and people with capital willing to bet it on ideas once again, because more and more uh, we are beginning to see people put up their hands and say, hey, I've got an idea that needs some funding. I've got an idea I'm bringing to market. And we haven't had that for a couple of years, not since before COVID, really. More and more we're learning about the impact of behavior. And I know somebody has written a book about personal finance and behavior, which is coming out soon because behavior is so important. Our habits are so important. And there's certainly when you look at behavior and habits, there is a very strong connection to Financial success. Yolanda Nobanda is a co founder and chief operating officer of you grow And Yolanda, you've taken, uh, I suppose, your understanding of human nature and your understanding of the corporate uh, environment in South Africa and your understanding of why it is that so many women are often hesitant to try to exercise their full value in the work environment. And you've put all these magical things together and you've created what you're calling a behavioral change platform. What behavior do you want to change? Good. Good evening.
7: Bruce, and, uh, thank
0: you. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a real privilege. Well, the behaviors, uh, Ruth, I think it goes without saying that the structural biases that uh, women experience, uh, especially evidenced by how women show up in the workplace with less agency, less energy to drive the success they desire, we then are focused on these very behaviors to say, how do we build a solution that supports women to build these behaviors? I suppose, uh, much like the approach um, uh, you have in interrogating uh, billionaires and startup mavericks to say, how do we spend time uh, with women uh, in deep research who are actually thriving and driving growth in their careers and organizations and business, and to then say, because they do exist, and we distilled this around the key attributes common to all of them, and this is how we developed our own uh, proprietary driving growth uh, archetype. So the U-Grow experience, uh, if you will, is this platform that provides targeted interventions that meet women exactly where they're at on their growth journey to support them with a cadence to make those behaviors stick and achieve the goals, uh, all with the aim of, of building the striving growth archetype.
1: Why that particular target market? What made you zone in there? Pavlo always tells us. You've got to be very targeted and very specific. you clearly identified a deep, deep need.
0: Oh, absolutely. And this target audience, I think the numbers uh, speak to this, right? If we look at the uh, economic gender parity, one that is regressing uh, to 257 years uh, pre-COVID, it's now sitting at 268 years to close. So for us, we're saying, Now, arguably more than ever, we really do need all hands on deck to solve for the challenges that we see in society to disrupt businesses and to build a more inclusive society. So it can't be the case that you have almost half the population not sitting at those decision-making foreign. So for us, that is really the the reason why we've focused on this uh,
1: target market. Yolanda Norbanda, thank you, co-founder and chief operating officer of You Grow this evening on The Money Show. I I love just that enthusiasm and that focus and identifying the target market and really digging in there and going, right, we're going to help these people. And these people will hopefully help them uh, build their business after eyewitness news we're going to be uh, talking to kit van sale kit is the co-founder and partner at knife capital and i want to talk a little bit about the the, the feeling i'm getting um they have uh, invested in a talent on demand platform called outsized what what opportunity are they seeing not only here but across the african continent uh then anton wrestle will join us from fatola this evening Uh, Talking about, and everybody's been there, I think. If you run a small business, you've got, what you've got is a product. uh, You've got a service. You've got a price point that you want to charge. You've got a quality uh, position in the market. And you're either going to overprice, underprice. Very seldom are you going to get it absolutely right. How do we get the holy trinity of price, quality, and service? Absolutely spot on. That's with Anton Ressel from Fetola, standing in for Pavlo this evening.
0: The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield on 702. Let's walk the talk on 92.7 and 106 FM.
1: Welcome to The Money Show. It is brought to you by APSA Africa Financial Markets Index, cultivating growth by providing a clearer understanding of the African markets. APSA is a registered FSP. Half past seven this evening, Warren Ingram. Uh, it's not even Halloween yet, and Warren Ingram's already talking about Christmas. He's as bad as a retailer. Um, his decorations, I bet his Christmas tree decorations are up. I bet he has the fairy lights up above, you know. I, I, I'm absolutely convinced that that's what he is doing. Um, and he's going to be told. But it's actually, in this case, I think justifiable. In this case, I think it's justifiable um, because what Warren is wanting you to do is be thinking about the way in which you are going to be spending your money so that you don't hit January. Everybody hits January where you've overspent during December because that's great <laughs> and, you know, uh, and uh, you end up getting in trouble. So how do you stop yourself from getting into trouble? Um, and with some advanced warning, very, very, very advanced warning. I mean, this is forward planning like very few people do forward planning, but absolutely, we'll do that with Warren Ingram this evening here on The Money Show. Kiet van Sales standing by from Knife Capital and and also small business this evening about how you ensure that not only do you get your service offering right and your pricing right, but your value proposition to your customers absolutely right as well. The holy trinity of price, quality and service. Uh, And we'll talk to Anton Russell this evening, uh, the head of SME support at Fetola, quarter past seven. The Money Show. With Bruce Whitfield on 702. 702. Commenting to a colleague earlier on today that I was beginning to see far more ideas... pitched to us people going i've got this idea just before eyewitness news we spoke to the guys with this behavioral platform and looking for women to be um more empowered in the workplace and helping women to become advanced and that is a business idea and it's using digital technologies in order to deliver it i'm just seeing more and more of these ideas get some funding and start coming to market and there was a drought in, in, in that sort of activity. It was absolutely fine up until COVID and then everybody went into hiding and um, lots of businesses went down, lots of businesses failed. Those that survived have been very much in survival mode and not in show-off mode. Uh, but I'm beginning to get a feeling that we are starting to get, after nearly four years since COVID started, get from sale, co-founder and partner at Knife Capital, that we're beginning to get a, a little bit of a frisson happening in your world and in the world of small business.
4: Yeah. Look, there's a. I'm thanks, Bruce. I'm phoning you, or we're talking to uh, from uh, a Wine Estate, where we just concluded the SAFCA Venture Capital Association Venture Capital Conference. So, very, very amped, amped with uh, interesting startup stories, and yeah, the the industry is alive and kicking, not without its problems, but there's a lot of lot of tailwinds in the in the VC startup space in South Africa at the moment.
1: You've just put money into what you're calling a talent on demand platform um basically it's a platform where freelancers can advertise their services It's called Outsized. what's the backstory to Outsized? What is the attraction of it?
4: yeah, so it's an amazing uh, uh, startup um, you know founded by Nicholas and Anurag and Azim and Johan Nike did an amazing job of. Capital-efficient business, which just be, basically means the angel funding that they had to date, they really turned into revenue. It is high growth. We always look at a, at a rule of 40, which is the growth rate of revenue plus the the sort of profitability needs to needs to at least click uh, 40%. Um, it's got its differentiation and it's, uh, it's it's multi multi-country. So basically, what it is, it's a skilled sort of talent-on-demand marketplace for high-skilled labour. So as you can imagine the gig economy as as full of like lots of um like lower skilled you know people type things but the, the this is more highly skilled the client base is McKinsey it, it's Old Mutual it's the banks it's the auditors it's the Deloitte's. it's even other vcs like sequoia which basically just need a more flexible work, workforce globally and you know, that flexible workforce, you don't want to have on balance sheet or on income statement at a, at a, at a, at a fixed cost and sort out of leave and all the rest of it. So what Outsize does, as does um, many other interesting uh, market players in, into this $5 billion market globally, like Upwork and Catalan, basically they just facilitate that process. so So people can, highly skilled workers can choose where they work from. They can choose what projects they go to. The clients can put projects onto the system. And it just works. Uh,
1: and it, again, because in a digital world in which we live, in a borderless world in which we live in the digital space, this is a platform, although it's African-made and built, and um, I'm not sure where it's domiciled, but it's a platform that can be accessed by anyone, anywhere, whether you are the professional or where you, whether you're the person looking for the skill.
4: Yes, exactly. So so I think that plays very much into this um, flexible workforce. I mean, highly skilled workers these days, want, to especially post-COVID, have realized they can choose where they want to work. But um, someone has to get them the job, scope that that, that that job. So for the for the client, let's say a a a they they focus on financial services and management consulting. So you know they suddenly get a big client in a specific industry and they need industry specific talent and and, and and lots of it very quickly to be able to, to earn the fees that they do. But they don't want to employ hundred people onto their onto their income sure. statement for a for a six month project at the same time you have highly skilled workers that have chosen to to work wherever they want to and uh, and they need access to two jobs and a consistent 6 month 9 month projects which is not just sort of one client here and one client there. contracting there's a bit of ai in there in terms of 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 vetted um you know talent as well as as matching so which which talents are better for for which thing we have 25000 workers on the platform Oops. and i mean yeah, globally, and Singapore, India, Middle East, and South Africa. And the business is, is, is you know, <laughs> surprisingly high margin and, and surprisingly high growth. So it sounds, it sounds fairly interesting, sort of interesting when you, talk, when you listen to it. But when you look at the Excel spreadsheet of what these guys have achieved in, in, in five years, you start wanting to invest.
1: Uh, you've invested, and uh, I mean, clearly this is an investment for scale, right?
4: Very much for scale, um, and and yeah, one one of the interesting things in the due diligence was that the the angel investors that came before, I said, you know, they've done a few angel investors investments, and this one is really one that has the, the guys have done what they said they were going to do. So if they look back at their initial pitch deck, they've they've hit the numbers, they've done what they needed to do, and basically we've got about forty, just under forty employees. We're going to double the employee base of outsized. Um, and obviously, we want to go into other geographies and just focus on marketing, making the tech a little bit more, more AI-centric to, to really do matching and, and, and contracting and stuff more smart and um, ultimately add value to, to both ends of the party. So it's a typical marketplace business. Obviously, we, we clip the ticket in the middle and, um, and, and, and provide a massive service for the consultants and stuff. But the main, main thing is an amazing blue-chip client base that pays on time every month because they obviously need that, that talent and create, create high-skilled jobs for people that can work from wherever. And, and, and an amazing team where our values are aligned. It's been a lot of fun closing the transaction. We're very excited.
1: Thank you, Keir Van He is the co-founder and partner at Knife Capital. You can hear the bounce.
0: 702.
1: Bruce is on The Money Show. In any business, there's a holy trinity in terms of how you can compete and position yourself. The holy trinity, the PQS. Oh, my goodness me, we love jargon. Anton Russell is the strategic head of SME support, small and medium enterprise support at Fatola on the line to us from Cape Town this evening. This holy trinity, the price, quality and service trinity. Explain to me why these three entities, these three These three components are so absolutely critical when it comes to getting a small business into a position where hopefully it makes money, can pay some salaries and maybe even a dividend one day, Anton?
7: Hi, good evening, Bruce. Nice to be on the show again. Um, So, yeah, I mean, essentially, if one breaks it down into the components in which any business, really, but particularly a small business, can take its product to market, can compete, can introduce its brand... It really is around those three components. You know, what is the price that you're going to charge? What is your strategy in terms of delivering quality? And what is your strategy around service and service levels? And, uh, you know, essentially any business has got to consider all three of those and decide ultimately really which two of those it's going to really own. Because the, the sad truth and the one that often escapes a lot of businesses, particularly when they're starting out, is that you can't actually compete on all three.
1: No, because, I mean, you're going to think your product is fabulous. So you're going to say, well, obviously I should be paid a premium for my product because I've worked very hard in creating the thing. I've spent years of my life, sleepless nights, three marriages, uh, two dogs that bark at me when I get home. And so therefore the, I, I must be rewarded for it. And obviously my quality is better than everybody else's and my service is going to be magnificent. And you think to yourself, I am a flipping genius. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it's unfortunately, it's something, something, you know, some element of that is going to crack so how do we get it right well
7: i mean exactly that you know the reality is that to deliver good quality and exceptional service costs money so if you decide that those are the two areas that you want to focus on you want to bring a quality product into the market you want to use good materials you want to use great packaging um, and you want to provide excellent service. You want to you know, be available 24-7. Perhaps your your shop, if you have a shop, is open on weekends. All of these things cost money. And then you try and deliver it at the lowest price possible as well. And like you say, the, the cracks are going to start to appear in your business model. And the truth is that you need to choose two. You know, if you're going to go to market on quality and service, then you need to be comfortable charging a higher price for that and not try and sort of bleed yourself dry and give it, give it to the market at the lowest price possible. Conversely, if you decide that, uh, you know what, my quality is going to be reasonable but not fantastic, I'll use decent materials in my product but not the best, um, and my service will be good, I can therefore then you know potentially charge a lower price and make it work. But it's when businesses try and deliver all three that they find themselves getting into trouble because then you're working really hard. You're spending a lot of money on delivering your service, having good, well-trained staff, 24 seven availability, et cetera. But you're not able to get the margin that you should be getting. And there are strategies around that. You know, you need to then think about things like your brand positioning. And who is your target market and how do they relate to price? Do they want a lower price or do they want a top-notch, very high-quality product? And I think that is sometimes where we get a little bit muddled.
1: You suggest that we should choose two out of three. And two out of three seems unsatisfactory because you can have a really good price and a really good quality of product. And if your service is rubbish, well, then the customers who are prepared to pay a high price for a good quality product are going to be very grumpy with you. If you have a really Mm -hmm. great quality product with great service, but your price is wrong, nobody's going to buy from you. If you have really great service, but your quality or price isn't right, well, you can do what you like and be as service-orientated as you like. Um, You're still going to struggle. So which two are the right two things to have well, that, if we can only really, have two? Yes, and that's
7: a great point. I mean, it really is ultimately about who are you selling to. You know, if I go and shop at Mr. Price, for example, I'm uh, not expecting to buy a garment that I'm going to be able to hand down to my grandchildren one day. I'm buying something that's fashionable. The service is reasonable. You know, the people smile and they're friendly or whatever. And the price is low, but I'm not expecting exceptional quality. So, when I go into a Mr. Price store, you know, I get a nice fashionable product that I can wear for a season or two at 89 Rand for a t shirt, and next season I'll buy another one. Conversely, if I go and shop at somewhere like Woolworths and I buy clothing and I pay 300 Rand for a t shirt, I'm expecting that t shirt to last, but I'm also expecting exceptional quality and service. And if something goes wrong with it, and I want to return it, you know, there's going to be no questions asked. So it really is ultimately about who are you? Who are you selling to, and and what is their relation around around those that holy trinity? You know, are they looking for something that's going to last for years and years, and they're really focused on service and quality and after sales service? And if they call you, they expect you to be there the next day to come and sort them out, or Are they more concerned with getting a good price? And I think because we're living in challenging times economically, the middle class is under financial pressure, you know, it starts to become tempting to try and deliver all three consistently. But the sad truth is it's just very, very challenging. And you're going to end up finding yourself not making the margins that you need to sustain your business for the long term.
1: And people often wonder. They I've been get questions saying, "I just don't know how to price my product. You know, do I uh, I make my product and I then add fifty percent? Do I add seventy five percent? Do I double the price of my cost? I don't know what to do. How do we define what the appropriate price of a product is? Is it price doesn't matter, but margin does. And then how do we? work out what an appropriate margin is. When Raymond Ackerman so famously worked for the Great Group and ran checkers for them, they looked at his margins and said, hold on a second, you're selling lots of bottles of milk and lots of potatoes, but you're making a 3% margin. We sell t-shirts and underpants and we make a 20% margin or whatever it was at the time. Make sure your potatoes and milk make a 20% margin. And he refused because he'd been to the United States and he'd seen the high volume, low margin opportunity um, that supermarketing brought. And the Great people at the time just couldn't see it. Raymond got fired, bought the, the four pick and pay stores and the rest is history. Um, finding your margin is absolutely pivotal, I suppose, depending on what it is you do, for whom you do it and how often you they they, they come to you as a customer.
7: Yes, and I mean, I always say and it's a little bit of a cop-out answer, but the right price is ultimately the price that you're, Customers are willing to pay. And that's not
1: a little bit of a cop-out, right? so That's a total <laughs>
7: I'm not cop-out I'm not Um And that gives you the necessary margin that you need to sort of maintain your profits and grow your business and, and, and stay in operation. I mean, ultimately, I think, I think we do sometimes fixate a little bit too much on price as business owners. I feel like people will pay a, a premium as long as they feel like they're getting value for it their is.
1: money. Yes. But so they've, if really they've never amazing. sampled your product before, and here's the problem, because you want to entice people into your product and if your product has got comparable uh, competition in the market um, and people are price sensitive, particularly at the moment, and your price thing is your, your, your product's overpriced, people like the branding, they like the positioning, they like the service model that you've got and they look at the quality they go, like, oh, it's very good. But this, you know, whisk forms the uh, performs the same job of whisking my morning scrambled eggs as your whisk and it's you know seventy percent of the price. yours is prettier and hardier, but right now actually i'll take the I'll take a whisk at seventy percent of the price and i won't be and you won't know about their decision making process you just will find you're selling fewer whisks at that particular point and kind of will have to figure out what's going on yes, and I think the one
7: one perhaps one way around that and 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 something that's that certain brands like Yapi chef, for example, talking of whisks do really well, is that they do they spend a lot of time and money and thought on positioning themselves in a certain way in the in the mind of their target customers sure. you know they so the whole experience is. Is premium, not just the product itself. The whole, if you buy online from Yummy Chef, for example, <laughs> you know, from start to finish, it's a very pleasurable experience, no, exactly. very efficient, etc.
1: But when and, they and when they took the decision pay to for that, when they took the decision to stop the handwritten notes, because the handwritten notes, I think, we're getting you know, untidier and untidier and untidier as they were rushing the handwritten notes because their volumes grew. In the early days, they were like sending a box a day. Hey, dear, dear, you know, uh, dear Anton, thank you so much for buying this box. We're so grateful. Thank you. Your customer is wonderful. And, and you know, gradually those letters got shorter and shorter and shorter. And eventually they went, actually, we're doing more harm than good by sending rubbish notes. But there was an expectation amongst some in their market. And people were quite quite agitated by the fact that you would taken something away. It was No value whatsoever other than if it made you feel loved. But it was an important aspect of the service offering, right?
7: Yes, and uh, interestingly enough, and I know I've dropped the name of a couple of brands tonight, but um, I I ordered a a, a consignment of spices this week from an online store called DurbanCurryLovers.co.za. I'm quite a keen chef, and I thought I needed to start doing it properly. And uh, they've got a a lovely range of products, and um, not the cheapest. I mean, it uh, probably could have gone to somewhere like Atlas Trading in Cape Town and got fairly similar products for a, similar, for, for a less, lesser price. But the quality of service, it was yeah. two days my order was couriered from Durban. I received an immediate response online when I placed my order. It was tracked throughout. And when the product arrived, beautifully packaged, very neatly packaged, not expensive, but nice, with an unexpected recipe book to launch my culinary journey down the Durban Curry highway. So just little things like that, you know, there are ways that we can delight our clients and therefore get a premium and a better price for our product. But we need to pay a bit of attention to how we build our brand and how we sort of introduce ourselves to the world.
1: exactly right I can only also imagine the idea of getting a package like that uh, courier to you and as you rip open the little plastic bits on the courier envelope or however it's delivered and you must be punched in the face with this just most glorious glorious fragrance of all of those beautiful spices so don't try and compete on all three understand what it is that you're offering understand your market understand the quality of your product versus everybody else's product and that will help you determine the price and then this This is the difficult one, deciding at what level of service is adequate. My goodness me, that's got to be the hardest one of the lot.
7: I think that is probably the hardest one because no one wants to give shoddy service. But, you know, when when we look at the service component of that that trinity, it's really about, um, you know, maybe convenience, do you deliver? So I tell you what, I'm going to keep my price low, but I only do free deliveries within a five-kilometer radius, and anything after that I have to charge for. Um, I'm not, a, not open on a weekend, for example, or there's a three-day turnaround for an order. We don't turn it around in, in one day, but we will keep our price lower. So it's not necessarily as simple as, you know, I'm going to give shoddy service just to try and keep a, a decent price. It's really about where can I save as a business in a way that my customers will not really feel shortchanged, that I can then keep the price as affordable as possible.
1: Anton, thank you very much indeed. Anton Russell, who is the Strategic Head for SME Support at Fitola. Thank you very much for sharing your insights with us this evening. Um, the wonderful idea of price, quality and service, they call it the PQS, the Holy Trinity of how your business can compete and position itself more effectively in a market where often there is plenty of competition. And if there's no competition, there soon will be because once somebody sees you... The Money Show. Personal
2: Finance
0: with Warren Ingram.
7: There is boy child, Jesus Christ, was born on Christmas Day.
1: I think that's enough. Um, we are weeks away from that being played in every shopping centre in the country. It'll make my colleague Laura Clancy very happy. She goes shopping at Christmas time because of Boney M. She could play it at home, but no, it's not good enough. Um, we are looking towards Christmas It's the middle of October And Warren Ingram, you're big on forward planning of course And we haven't even had Halloween yet But actually planning for Christmas spending So that you don't get to the January Of a, a, a personal fiscal crisis is critical, right? Uh, I think it's exactly right
8: I think we, we, we live in this environment of, of everything moving quickly lo- Lots of people feeling pressure to buy the demanded things You know, Whether it's the kids demanding, the spouse demanding all of that stuff, and, and I think the only way to manage a lot of that is to take the pressure off, to do things long in advance to make sure that uh, you, you've got the time, the patience and no competition around you of other shoppers all pushing you for the same goods.
1: And for those of us who have been in the shopping centers on Christmas Eve because we've not followed the advice that Warren is giving this evening, you know exactly what it's like. It is flipping bedlam, and you're also under pressure because you've not planned. So you didn't go and get the, the, the generous, of course, but sensible gift, which is now sold out. So now you're going to places where you know you will make the person in your life happy if you go and shop from that place. Invariably, that place is going to be at a premium price. And you're going to go and make an expensive purchase, which although I'm sure it will be appreciated, uh, you may find yourself regretting it because you've actually blown whatever budget you may have thought you were going to have.
8: Yeah, and, and I feel it's a lot like going uh, shopping for groceries when you're hungry. It's just not That's a smart thing to do. Yeah. So, so, you know, you, you eat before you go. You've got a shopping list. Uh, and then you go and buy what's on the list. That's, that's how one should go grocery shopping. Uh, and I feel the same with the gifts. If we're buying them long in advance, it means we're taking time to think about the things. And if you walk into the first shop and you can't find what you, what you had on your list, you can go into the third or the fourth. Uh, and, and of course I'm saying walking, but often nowadays it's scrolling, right? It's, it's finding sure. the stuff online. But, but not doing it when you're competing with lots and lots of other buyers is incredibly important. Uh, and then also just, giving you the time to kind of think about it a bit more carefully to say, uh, you know, if it's a, if it's a, uh, for a child, you know, yes, there is the demanded thing that every child has uh, and, and you know, maybe it's incredibly expensive and, and actually, you, you know, your child's going to outgrow whether it's a pair of shoes or, you know, break the toy or whatever it is. What else can I do? And I can take time and I can, I can apply my mind and find the value. I mean, I love buying uh, gifts for very, very young kids. Most of the time they get more value out of the box than the gift, right? Of course. Uh, and so, okay, I'm, that doesn't mean I go around buying young kids just the box. That's, you know. I don't
1: know. I would have thought that is exactly the sort of I, thing you
8: would do. I give them the box and then I put money into their tax free savings account and the for parents such. say thank you. Exactly. So, so it's about being able to be thoughtful and then, uh, maybe also just taking some pressure off to say this is not a competition. And I feel that that's often the, the case with this the, this festive season buying is uh, we've got to keep up with the Joneses, the Kamalos, and we've got to do something uh, because we haven't thought about it. And and then last minute, under pressure, now we just match whatever it is. and And I think that's wrong.
1: And in an era where – Blended families are a thing where there have been divorces and kids are – the kids will be spending Christmas with mom this year or with dad this year. The other one feels hurt and left out, so therefore they want to win favor and therefore will then perhaps overspend. Again, getting an agreement if you can talk to each other before the time, if you're capable of still communicating in a civil fashion, just to say – Let's just be disciplined because you're not doing young people in your family any favors by overdoing it because you want to compensate for whatever sorrow you're feeling at that particular time of year.
8: Yeah, and and I think, you know, not competing with each other if you're in that situation as the the divorced parents, you know, a great point. Uh, Equally, if you find out what children really value most from their parents, it's not a good. It's not an item. It's a bit more time. It's a bit more yeah, time. Nice in theory. Um, until until they're teenagers, right? Yes. But, but but younger, and and so you know, you know one, one thing you could do take time. Actually, yeah. just take time to spend time with your loved ones. That's what they really value.
1: Here, here darling, is a box with a voucher for six <laughs> hours of my time. You get it thrown back in your face.
8: No, no, no. Uh, so, so, so let me let me qualify. In other words, I'm not going to buy a gift. What we're going to do is we're going to go
1: do an adventure
8: fishing. Yeah, we're going to go. I'm going to go teach you to surf or watch you. Uh, try and surf. I'm go- we're going to go for a long stroll in the mountain or on the beach or exactly uh, or, or the deal. Spend time, Exper- make it an adventure.
1: And those experience gifts are the gifts that last in, for eternity because you know they might not be appreciated in the same way as the PlayStation is going to be appreciated in the short term, but over time the compounding effect of those repeated experiences and shared experiences and the stories and the legends that and 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 the the culture that builds within within relationships um is the the thing that people remember to
8: their dying day and i do feel we we're in an environment where where because we're so social media driven now and, and there's so much pressure my goodness me the messages are already there the push of product yeah and oh. and i think you know again it's it's Maybe good life lessons. I'm not saying be the boring parent where you say, "I'm going to teach you about you know trade offs and suffering," you know. So that, that I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm just saying
1: happy Victorian Christmas.
8: Yeah, yeah. You, you know, here's your peanut and enjoy it. No, I'm saying but I'm allergic. Shut up. <laughs> Eat, your Eat it anyway. So, so, so this is what a hospital looks like over Christmas. No, I, I feel it's about saying. Uh, let 's prioritize we can do this, we can take this money, and I can buy you that very expensive pair of shoes and and then that 's all our experiences for the whole year done because that 's what our budget is. or we can take this money, we can look at going as I said, we can go on some adventure and we can do that for you know two or three of those for the same price as those shoes what What would you like to do? What is it And maybe you know your, your child surprises you and says, "Well, I have the shoes, thank you very much, or maybe they don 't surprise you, and they say let 's go on the adventure but but I think making them kind of aware of the, the fiscal side of this with yeah. trade offs is is valuable. And and then please don't feel the pressure to go into debt. Because I, I So many people do. I feel your January thing is real. Like I think we we You know, our, our inboxes fill up when we start getting the questions at the start of the year, and it's about people saying, okay, so my credit card is now red lined uh, and and I've got no other facilities. What do I do now? I've got to pay for school
1: fees, and I've got to buy uniform and yeah. books, and they're so much more expensive. Everyone else is ripping me off. You forget very quickly what you were spending in December.
8: Yeah, and okay, and let's stay on that for a second. Uh, you, you know, maybe maybe this is also the time to start buying the uniforms for next year.
1: No, no, you don't do that because the <laughs> they're going to grow. The little blighters <laughs> grow, and, and there is a direct correlation between forward planning on clothing and growth spurts. The moment you buy two sizes up because you're sensible. They will grow three sizes by the time the garment is required. And it's it's just it's one of those laws, like Moore's law in computing. Um, it's Whitfield's law of buying clothes ahead.
8: And then I'm 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 surrounded at the moment in my office with with lots of parents of very very young children. You know, babies that have just been born, about to be born, and watching the pressure of these baby showers in the office and everywhere else, yeah, yeah. people buying massively branded clothes for a baby that will never know what a brand is at, at, at three days old or, or one month old. It's entirely for the parents or, or, or to impress. And I'm looking at and saying, you know, a really amazing shirt from, you know, a, a, a food retailer. I don't want to give them all props now, but a food retailer that happens to sell some clothes as opposed to the baby specialist retailer that costs 12 times the price. Yeah. Uh,
1: come on. Think about it, and the st- and and, the, and again, the growth spurts are enormous <laughs> at at that at that sort of area. So you buy the cute stuff, and they outgrow it outgrows within two ways, you know. And it's um, yeah, because also people and yeah, you know. Let's not go down that particular alley. Uh, also, if you start planning now, you spread out the expense over October and November and December. You're not spending December. It's December's money. You're spending a bit of money in October, a bit of money in November, and a bit of money. In December, If you budget, and budget comes well, absolutely critically here, you are dividing the pain in three tranches, perhaps, rather than spending too much in December and then having to cope with the consequences in January. In, in January. And I feel actually by
8: December that the, the December money that you earn, you know, some companies pay a bit earlier. Uh, so, so there's a huge Kind of gap between December payday and and January sure. payday. So I feel that December money should just be for getting through December. I I feel your gifts should be done by the very end of November, and and when everyone else is panicking, you're number one relaxed, number two catered for uh so, so I, I feel try and do it early and and that means we've kind of got we're, we're you know uh, kind of i would say just under two months to go and and then as you know i'm married to the spreadsheet queen and and so I, we we budget for everything. the
1: spreadsheet queen and the cheapskates now there's a bestseller if i've <laughs> ever heard of it yeah.
8: and and one thing the spreadsheet queen does is she doesn't sit still so so if we happen to be watching uh, r- r- rugby she's knitting and so like knit you know, if you, if you can knit, it's an amazing thing to do. You can make clothes for people as gifts. You can do things by hand. Uh, which are deeply meaningful, especially to people who know what crafts are, and, yeah. and nowadays handmade stuff is really precious.
1: Absolutely, because there's so little around, because nobody really bothers doing it. Exactly. So, absolutely, right. and it, it ends up meaning so much more. But that that impulse buying thing is our biggest. I mean, it's it's and it's not just a Christmas thing; it's an everyday thing, and is um, as, as particularly when it comes up to birthdays and stuff, and and uh, and up to Christmas, and and whether it be Valentine's Day, if you observe those sorts of things, and you insist on buying each other. Gifts, You get over it eventually. You'll be fine. Um, But you you kind of go, if I get this, I'm going to be seen as a bit of a cheapskate. So let me be generous because, you know, it wasn't great. You know, just get over yourself and be thoughtful and meaningful rather than trying to express an emotion via a monetary value. Via guilt, which is really what we're talking about.
8: Yeah. And I think Valentine's Day is great on the 15th and 16th of Feb. That's a great time to celebrate Valentine's Day. The restaurants are empty. Roses are cheap. That's the time to do it.
1: <laughs> oh, um, Liquidity. And this is an important thing for people to understand. Liquidity, we talk about it in company terms. You've got to have liquidity. You've got to make sure that there is spare cash. But the household needs liquidity like every other aspect of our lives. Governments need liquidity. Households need liquidity. Individuals need Liquidity.
8: Yeah, and and so this is not a weather term. This is a money term. This is about uh, access to 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 ready cash that's not in debt. Please, we're, what we're not talking about here is now go and borrow money on the credit card or personal loan or something. You know, d- 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 deepen the home loan to to pay for holidays and gifts. What we're talking about is make sure your emergency fund is your emergency fund. Remember, three to six months worth of expenses. Uh, that's for emergencies. This holiday season is not an emergency so it's not that it's about then saying let me build up some some cash over the months to then pay for these gifts with cash pay for the holidays whatever it is with cash if you don't have the cash you don't you don't spend it uh, and and so when the emergency happens because what will happen is you'll use your emergency fund, you'll borrow money and then something really will go wrong on the 27th of, of December. That's how life works. If you don't have the, the access to the to the ba- the backup, that's when you need it. So so don't use your emergency m- money, don't use debt and then build up cash to buy these things and that's your discipline. You don't have the cash, you don't spend it.
1: And then consumption over that time also will increase. So whether you go away on holiday, you, you tend to cook less uh, when you're on holiday, go out more, spend more, uh, drink slightly like better better Things eat slightly better things, do that more often on a repeat cycle. Uh, you've also got to then carry that discipline through to your holiday expenditure that the expenditure that you have over those at ti- that time because also then I don't know you're in a nice place and now there's a boat trip or there is a fishing trip or whatever it might be. and You go, oh, Wouldn't that be nice? We're, we're only ever going to do this once, let's do it now. Yeah, fine if you've got the cash P- planned your holiday and you've apportioned some money there for those incidentals or for the stuff that you couldn't have foreseen for example
8: and, and what, what you have got uh, most of the time is a bit of time on on, on holiday so so use the time to go for walks, you know, because because what you're talking about with eating a bit better and all those things is also doesn't help the waistline. So let's do two things at once. So that, you know, spend a bit more time walking and moving, and 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 it's kind of free, right, to do those things, which I, which I like, uh, and 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 it's healthy. So that, so your, your medical bills will be better next year. But, but but equally, you've got time to cook really nice meals. You don't have to go to restaurants when they're extremely busy and really re, really expensive and and completely
1: overpriced. And also when you know you look at the the gaunt young students. Who's serving you on Christmas Eve, and then you feel guilted into doubling the tip. Not that that's a bad thing; it's a lovely, generous thing to do. But that ultimately is a financial consequence on you as well. And and I
8: mean, to me, you know, that's not a relaxing time. You know, watching people on Christmas Eve in a restaurant, everyone's stressed, everybody top to bottom. And and you watch the people at home that have kind of pre-done, pre-planned, pre-cooked. Had a very relaxed time, no stress. Yeah. Uh, the, the gaunt teenager that's serving them is their own, uh, and and that's fine. They're great. For the gift, hopefully, and uh, you know, everyone's happy.
1: Warren, thank you very much for that. I think it's a really good guide. I was skeptical when I, you said you wanted to do this, and then I looked at the calendar and went, Oh my gosh, it is, it's the middle of October. So, good. Forward planning. Thank you, Warren. A question for you from Lerato, and I think this is a wonderful, thoughtful idea, and I think a lot of people will benefit from this question, Lerato, so thank you for it. I want to invest for our domestic helper to build savings for her retirement in 15 years. I've told her about this, but I'm not sure what the best way to do it is. What product should I use for her? She's not clued up on investments and different products in the market. I don't think putting money into a fixed deposit makes sense. So what is the best way of doing This lovely question, answer with Warren in a moment. The Money Show. Personal finance with Warren Ingram. Money Show brought to you by APSA Africa Financial Markets Index, cultivating growth by providing a clearer understanding of the African markets. APSA is a registered FSP. What an interesting and wonderful uh, idea from Lerato and the, the right thing to do, quite frankly, how does Lerato go about it? So, so I think there,
8: there, there are probably three things to consider, three, three options, and, and I'll be brief. But but the first one, uh, for, for most of us, for retirement savings, we would look at a, at a retirement product, right? So it would be a, re- a retirement annuity, at a pension fund, provident fund. And that's extremely valuable when you're in an in- income bracket where you're paying income tax. You yeah. get a tax break for, for, for making that contribution. Unfortunately, in South Africa, most domestic workers, their, their salary through a year will not be enough. To, to get a tax break.
1: Well, I think you start paying tax at about 96000 or thereabouts, I think.
8: Yeah, so, so, uh, I mean, and for it to be a meaningful uh, kind of advantage in that, in that retirement space, I, I you know, I just, I feel yeah. that, that actually that's not the option. So, so the second option, which I think is the one I'm really nudging, w- w- would be a tax free savings account contribution. Uh, j- just as a reminder, we can, we can save 3,000 rand a month or 36,000 rand a year into a tax free savings account. All of the growth, all of the interest, all of the dividends, everything inside that tax-free savings account would be tax-free, uh, and you can draw it out at any time. So, so that's important. There is a use it and lose it thing, but but if this is a fifteen-year deal, uh, the, the, it's the perfect amount of time for tax-free savings because that's pretty much how long it would take to to, to save three thousand rand a month to get to that. Uh, and and then please make sure, Lorata, that if you're doing this for for your your domestic worker. It's a high growth investment inside the tax free. In other words, you know, a, a, a top 50 index or a world index. Exchange traded fund or unit trust, please don't go and put it into a cash account. I, I, I mean, I, I saw that. Uh, Larato said, you know, I don't think a fixed deposit's right. I agree, that's not
1: the right And I, I'm still so cross that they called it a tax free savings account. They could have called it a tax free savings vehicle. They could have called it a, a tax free savings Same. advantage. Um, they could have called it any one of a thing, but they called it an account. an account. Because account implies cash deposit. Yeah. So this um, is not that's that.
8: No, so 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 this is a high growth uh, investment. 15 years, you should be taking, uh, you know, significant responsible risk, which is the stock market. I think that's the right way to go. Half South Africa, half global. Uh, your your domestic worker will will love you for for decades to come if you do that and you get it right. Uh, and and then it's just a bit of work just to explain what this is and explain that it's not a savings fund for the next two or three years. It is really for retirement because it's accessible.
1: Uh, but also accept that because it will have to be in the person, the beneficiary's name, that once you put the money into that vehicle, it is theirs. You can't, if you fall out with your domestic worker or decide that your domestic worker um, no longer deserves it or um, your domestic worker decides to, to leave and uh, drop you in the lurch on the 24th of December for whatever reason, you can't in a fit of pique take it away. Because you've given this money away out of the goodness of your heart and you've made this contribution. It is theirs. It is also theirs to exercise at any point that they choose to do so, which is why the conversation on what it is and what its purpose is and no matter what happens, failing disaster – you don't touch the money because this is the goal of the money the purpose of the money yeah and, and i feel that you know the, the 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 gift here is two things it's a
8: financial gift and it's a, and it's a, a financial education gift at the same time have a conversation now have a conversation once you've done the first investment have a conversation every 3 or 6 months to say that look this is how it's why don't going why would we check it out? this is why it's going up this is why it's going down remember why we're doing this remember what the purpose is uh, th- that's an incredible gift that will go multi multiple generations down because that's education that can be passed to future generations as well. And, and I think that's the responsibility of an employer here. Yes, it's a financial contribution. I'll slightly disagree with you. I don't think it's a gift. I think it was earned. D- domestic workers uh, do an incredible no, no, job. This,
1: this feels like an additional gift. I mean, it's a, this is not a dedu- reduction of salary. This isn't a pension contribution. This is lerato saying, I, I want to – it feels like an additional – uh, incentive, yeah. f- for somebody who's clearly appreciated, yeah, um, and so I, I call it a gift. You can call it earned. I
8: feel like an, it should be a bonus. You know, it's it like like you and I. If we get a bonus one day in our, in our businesses, we say we earned that, and and this is that. You know, it's okay. it's good, good, hard earned, strong relationship. You know, empl- uh, um, employee employer. But But equally that that. The, the employer's job also, I think, is just the financial education, which I think will have a multiples bigger benefit than the money.
1: And, and one of the reasons why you will like this also is because it's a low-cost product as well. So you're yeah. not getting um, the gains that are being corroded by a, a pension product or whatever. Because I, th- I got a sense from Lerato's question also, what product should I buy? Because the in, in natural inclination would be, well, this is a pension fund, so we must buy a pension product. Yeah. Um, and you, you're, you're just saying, don't worry about that stuff. Um, although the pension product would make it less accessible and would almost enforce a long-term saving, it's going to be a lot less efficient and a lot less cost-effective um, than uh, helping the domestic worker along the process of understanding the process and the learnings from it, and encouraging longevity of the investment. Yeah,
8: and, and you know, the, the moment you deny people access to the money, that's exactly when they want it. If you if you explain and and educate, it, it solves a lot of problems. And uh, that's why I don't like the retirement product. Equally, I don't think you should do the endowment because, again, endowments are great when you've got a tax issue. When you don't have a tax issue, they're expensive, and, and often then you know, the accessibility of money becomes an issue as well. Tax-free savings, very simple, or just a generic exchange-traded fund or you know, a, a, a world
1: equity unit trust, either, either of those, if you're not going to do tax-free savings account. Uh, and, again, don't try and be too clever about it either in terms of trying to call markets and bet markets and time markets and all of that sort of stuff you've long said in your books all say it um that there is you know just get the average just do a
8: little bit every month yeah every single month don't worry about what's going on sign a debit order get it going fire and forget and focus on the education that's a much better deal if you can't do the education get them to listen to this this show uh you know it's free they can uh, that's incredible education
1: um thank you very much lorato i'm Absolutely certain that that gives you absolutely all the tools that you need. Um, please go and do it, and I encourage everybody to do it who has got that relationship um, with with somebody in their lives who provides a, a very important service. Um, and it's, from your perspective, a fairly inexpensive contribution to long-term well-being of somebody clearly very important to you. Um, before I let you go, uh, I mentioned books a moment ago. Um, you got them in the wrong order But we had this conversation many times um, How to be your own financial advisor And then how to make your first million And then you did your global markets global book Global investing Global investing book And there is a number four coming There is a number four close. coming
8: it's, uh, I got the cover uh, yesterday I think it will be in the, in the stores in April In April? In April These things take a long time, Bruce You know that Jeez, that's a lot of editing. What did you do wrong? <laughs> the, the editor seems to like what's going on. I think they're just going to these big programs where they're, you know, they're, they're going to print runs, and that's how, that's how they're wrong.
1: I, I was seriously expecting a pre-Christmas book. <laughs> I'm so, I, I feel so deflated by this this, this evening um, Warren thank you very much I mean really important conversations around budgeting and spending and everything else I got a really interesting email today um, and I'm not going to throw this one in your direction but I'm going to forward it to you and for anybody else by the way who um, who has got questions and there are a billion questions worth asking and answering um, and a, a really interesting question which I've now lost on my email inbox but I will find it later Um all about the idea of fixed deposits, and this because interest rates are higher for longer, people are really beginning to look at equity markets, not giving them the returns in a year or two, and saying ah, the temptation of the fixed deposit, the temptation of locking in an 8% um, return over the next 12 months, or the next 24 months, or the next 36 months is. Becoming for many people increasingly compelling, so I think if next week we could pick up on that particular uh, on that particular point, Beautiful. I think that would be an incredibly valuable one for us to do. Warren Ingram from Galileo capital he's a personal financial advisor, he's an executive director at the Galileo Capital and a co founder he's also a, a certified financial planner, and once when he was young, was named financial planner of the Year.